0: Let's talk about 2018 and 2019. You know, one of the things that we all tend to do at the end of the year is we we reflect a bit on the year that was. And so let me just, here is my reflection for you. I have to say, for the most part, 2018 was another year. There you go. There's the reflection for the year. And let let me unpack that a little bit. There were some ups and downs. And to be completely honest, and I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to be honest this morning. Marcy and I were talking about this the other day. We are really glad that 2018 is coming to a close. I'm just telling you. I'm glad it's over. You say, why? Why, Gary? What, what's, the, what's the deal? Well, I'll talk about that in a little bit. You know, we're believing for a great year, 2019. I and I said something last year on the last Sunday of the year, and I want to repeat it. It bears repeating, and here it is. What 2018 was does not determine, does not determine how 2019 will be. And there really is a very that is a very significant statement. Not because I made it, but it's because it's true. We often look at what our past was. And we immediately apply that to the future and say, that's the way it's going to be. It's kind of a predetermined thing. Well, Nothing could be further from the truth. Say it again, what 2018 was does not determine how 2019 will be. Now understand, 2018 had some, had some wow moments. I don't want to minimize those. I, we look at our own life and our own lives, and Marcy and I were privileged to have a new granddaughter in 2018. She's getting ready to turn one in January, which is hard to believe that it's been a year. That was a great joy. We had a wonderful time. All of our family was able to get together this past summer. That doesn't happen that often for us. We have one of our sons in Texas, and that just doesn't happen often. So when we can all be together, that's a great time. Uh, I, I, You know, I, I look back, and we've maintained, and I'm going to use this word very guardedly, we have maintained relatively good health. And I say relatively because there were periods of time where it wasn't all that good, but that's kind of the life as it is. Uh, we enjoy some great vacation days, we, and there were some great things that happened here at, at Crossroads Church. We had an amazing Easter last year. It was amazing. We had over 1,000 people in the two campuses. We had about 40 people commit their lives to Christ. It was just a great, great day of celebration. We baptized this past year uh, almost 75 people. I'm grateful for that. God is at work among us. And sometimes what happens, here's what happens. Sometimes we only view things from the big picture and and we don't see what happens collectively over the course of a year. But I want to tell you, God, God is up to some good things among us. And I'm grateful for that. As well, all of us should be grateful for what God is doing. VBS in July of last year was absolutely off the hook. Okay, you can do better than that because a lot of you were a part of that. I'm going to say it again. VBS in July was off the hook. I'm telling you, it it was incredible. It was incredible. The people walking out the door, they were saying, now you have to understand, this is just kind of typical stuff. People walk out the door saying, my kids have been to three VBSs already this summer. And I'm going, well, okay, that's great. She said, but this one was the very best of any of them. And I'm going, yes. So I want to just say, way to go. All of you who served at VBS, God bless you. And way to go. Give everybody a big hand. So I'm going to say it. Get ready for VBS in 2019 because it's going to be off the hooker. No, it's going to be off of the hook. Strike that from the archives. Oh, thank goodness 2018 is ending. Oh, gosh. Just shows you I'm human. some more good things in 2018 and going to happen in 2019 is Journey Church in Fullerton with Enoch and Myrna. That's exciting. Legacy Church with Kyle and Brittany. That's exciting. These are things that are happening among us. And then we had, in October, we had a great and incredible missions emphasis. God did some really good things in us, and I'm, I'm grateful for that. And that. Ex- And that extends through the end of the, you know, really beyond even today in 2018 and well into 2019 and beyond. But along with those, and I call those wow moments. Those are some wow moments. But, you know, along with with some wow moments, there were also some oh no moments. Uh, You know, we had some dear friends who passed away this last year. And maybe you've experienced that. Maybe family members. Those are always those are always hard. Those are always hard to walk through because of the sorrow connected to it. Um, in our own personal lives, we had identity theft last year four times. Four times. Now I, I don't want to do that again. Okay, that just that disrupts everything, over and over again. Um, there were some pesky physical things that kept hanging on that provided the, kind of the discouragement, and I think some added stress that is kind of un, unusual for us, but that was the reality. We also had some sorrow connected to some other friends who were walking through some deep, deep struggles. And you look at those and you just say, oh God, I wish, I wish that wasn't happening. And you see friends suffering or being challenged, that's hard. So Why am I saying all of this? Well, here's what I want you to hear. All of us, and I mean all of us, Marcy and me included, we have wow moments. We have wow moments, and we need to celebrate those. But we also have oh-no moments. And the reality is, some of those oh-no moments just are. They just happen. You, you You can't do anything about them. In other words, if I just if I just use this one element the sorrows and the struggles of my friends I can't do anything about it they just are and they create a sorrow in me they' they're, they're an oh no moment however some of those oh no moments of our own making and I, I I've looked at this portion of my comments this morning and I have wrestled with the word that I'm going to use right now. But I just felt a check in my spirit and say, no, you just need to say it what it is. So here's, I'm just going to read it. But some of those oh no moments are by our own making. We make good decisions and wow moments result. And we make bad decisions and oh no moments are the result. There's the word bad that I wrestled with. I was thinking about the word challenging, to soften it. I was thinking about a variety of other words to soften it. The reality is, we have all made bad decisions from time to time, and the result of those bad decisions are an expression of, oh, no. Oh, no. And so 2018... So 2018 comes to a close. I want to leave you with this challenge. Here's the challenge. Let's increase the wow, eliminate the oh no, and expect an amazing 2019. That's the challenge. One more time. Let's increase the wow, eliminate the oh no, and expect an amazing 2019. I believe it is absolutely possible to do that. I don't think that is something out of the realm of a possibility for us as followers of Christ. We can do this. We can increase the amount of wow moments in our life by the decisions that we make. We can eliminate the oh no by the decisions that we make. So in order for 2019 to not be a repeat of 2018, whether it's wow, understand, just because it was wow in 2018, it doesn't necessarily mean... That's the only thing that God can do. No. We need to believe for even greater things than what God did in 2018. Can I get an amen with that? I am I'm extremely excited about what God did at Easter. I'm extremely excited about the many, the many who were baptized. I'm extremely excited about VBS. But I believe God can do greater things than he did in 2018 if we are obedient to him. Follow him. We're going to talk about that for a little bit today, and we're going to do so from the book of Ecclesiastes, and I'm going to say something now that I haven't said uh, to our, our media team, and, uh, but I'm going to say it just so they can get on the, on the page with me. I, I've been considering doing a series out of the book of Ecclesiastes in the coming year, this coming year, starting in February, and I have felt a check in my spirit to do that, so we're going to be changing that series. I'm going to be doing a series in the month of February, starting in the month of February, on the seven churches of the book of Revelation. There's a reason for that. And some of what we will share this morning is what is, I believe, fueling that in my spirit. There is something so significant of what John says or what Jesus says to the churches in the book of Revelation that I believe that as a church we need to hear. And I, as a pastor, need to reflect upon once again and share that. So I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you Start at, not starting in February, but starting right now, be in prayer, be ready for what God wants to do among us. And I'm going to guarantee something to all of us this morning. God is going to challenge us to the very core of our soul in those messages from the book of Revelation. Every time I read them, I'm challenged. And I'm going to tell you, it is going to, it is going to put the spotlight on our hearts, but it's going to do something dynamic within our lives for the, for the, for the month or rather the months and the year that is ahead of us. So be ready for what God is going to do. But we're going to talk about Ecclesiastes this morning. And so the one thing about Ecclesiastes that is unique, by many it's considered a depressing book. In fact, the most depressing book in the Bible. And, but in it, Solomon, Solomon declares some things. He declares the utter futility and uselessness of every human activity. And it is very, very clear. He concluded four things. I'm just going to take a second with this. He concluded four things. Life is monotonous. You're ready for this? You're going to get really encouraged. Life is monotonous. Wisdom is pointless. Wealth is insufficient. And death is certain. Amen to that. Now, aren't you, aren't you, wow, that's, wow, that's brr. That's what it, that's the book of Ecclesiastes. So, I want to read to you how the book begins. Ecclesiastes chapter one. Verse number one. The words of the teacher, this is Solomon. Son of David, king in Jerusalem. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow to the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from... There they return again. All things are wearisome. More than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear is full of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, there's something new? It was here already long ago. It was here before our time. No one remembers the former generations, and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. Amen. My goodness. Boy, I am just, Woof. how can I be more encouraged after reading that? What he's saying is, if you didn't catch it, everything is meaningless. That's the theme of the book. Everything is meaningless. Goodness. And and I hope I get this phrase exactly right. But that last phrase that, that even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them, I had one writer would say it like this. He says, the currently popular are being replaced by those soon to be unpopular. That's the cycle. You could look at that passage of Scripture and just say, here we go again. One more trip around the sun. This is my 64th trip around the sun. And what Solomon is saying, everything is the same. Year after year after year after year after year after year after year. year. Everything is meaningless. You go, man, oh man, what a pessimistic outlook on life. And it does look that way. But Solomon is anything but a pessimist. He's not a pessimist. And hear this. He wasn't a cynic. He wasn't a skeptic. He was a true believer in the God of his fathers. He understood who God was. But he sought to destroy, and understand this, he sought to destroy people's confidence in their own efforts, their own abilities, and their own righteousness to direct them to faith in God as the only possible basis for meaning and value and significance in life. There is no other way to find or to have an amazing 2019 unless we put our complete and total trust in God. There's no other way to do it. So, what I would say is that we're talking about wow moments, we're talking about oh-no moments. Well, we're going to talk for a little while about aha moments. And I believe that the book of Ecclesiastes is the aha moment in Solomon's life. And he just lays it out. And he'll say this, way, I've done everything. I have done it all. And at the end of the day, it's meaningless. So he comes to chapter 12, the book of Ecclesiastes, and this is what we read, verses 13 and 14. Now all has been heard. Hear that? All has been heard. And here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment including every hidden thing whether it is good or evil. Pray with me. Jesus I pray that you'll speak through your word this morning to us in Jesus name. Amen. An aha moment. An aha moment is a defining moment where you gain real wisdom. Wisdom You can use to change your life. And I believe that's what we have this morning in three things. The first part of this aha moment is to fear God. To fear God. Now, fear is a funny thing. Because when you're little, or maybe when you're a little older, I don't, I don't know. We're kind of afraid of everything when we're littler. We're afraid of the dark. We're afraid of being alone. We're afraid of certain people. We're, we're, my, I have a niece. She's a wonderful, wonderful little gal. Her name is Avery. And for probably the first two years of Avery's life, she would have nothing to do with me. She would look at me and start to cry. And I would say, I'm the nicest guy in the world. Why would anybody... You could have given me an amen on that. You know, come on. <laughs> I'm the nicest guy in the world. Why would anybody be afraid? Especially, and I would talk to her, her mom, and Tiffany said, I don't, I don't really understand it. She said, maybe, maybe it's the gray hair and the beard. And I'd say, well, okay. She was just afraid of me. For, for, and then finally, she, now, she, now we're like best friends. So it's all good. But we're kind of afraid of everything. And so when you talk about the fear of God, it's kind of odd. I have, I have a, a whole bunch of stuff in my files, but one of the things I have in my files is a list of fears or a list of phobias. And in that list of phobias, there are hundreds of phobias, hundreds. Things like fear of long words, and it even has the word hippo in it. I'm not sure what that means, but the fear of long words. And then there's this gem, and I'm going to give you the, the technical term, phobophobia. You know what it means? It's the fear of phobias. So we're afraid of everything. So when you talk about the fear of God, it's a little little odd for us in the English language to put our arms around it. But understand this. To fear the Lord is to stand in awe of His majesty. I I want you to hear this this morning. To fear the Lord is to stand in awe of His majesty, His power, His wisdom, His justice. In his mercy, especially in Christ. In his life, in his death, in his resurrection. It is to have an exalted view of God. It's to see God in all of his glory. And then to respond to him appropriately. It's to humble ourselves before him. To adore him. And to respect him found a quote by John Bevere this week and he said when we fear God we choose to love what he loves and hate what he hates I I want you, do you see that when we fear God and here's the word we choose we choose to love what he loves and hate what he hates I'm telling you that'll change your life That should be an aha moment for every one of us in this room, whether you are older or whether you are younger. We need to begin to ask ourselves this question. Here is the question. Does God love this or does God hate this? And based upon that question, it does then speak to what our response and our actions will be following that. Does God love it or hate it? Solomon unpacks this fear of the Lord in the book of Proverbs it says, if we fear the Lord, we're going to hate evil. Proverbs 8.13, all who fear the Lord will hate evil. The fear of the Lord is where wisdom begins. Proverbs 9.10, for the reverence and fear of God are basic to all wisdom. The fear of the Lord provides security. Proverbs 14.26 Rock-solid security is found in the fear of the Lord and within its one's children find refuge. That's powerful. If we fear the Lord, Solomon says, we will avoid evil. Respect the Lord and you will stay far away from evil. The fear of the Lord leads to life. Proverbs 19.23 Fear of God is life itself. A full life. As a follower of Jesus Christ, the fear of God should be our default setting. Say it again. As a follower of Jesus Christ, the fear of the Lord should be our default setting. We should naturally gravitate to a profound respect, awe of God. We should just be awed in His presence when we come into this place to worship. And I'm going to say a few things this morning, just get them off of my heart. When we come into this place for worship, I want to encourage you from this moment forward not to come in five minutes late, ten minutes late, fifteen minutes late, but be here from the very beginning when the band begins to sing and to worship so that you can lift your voices to the Lord and allow the fear of God to begin to speak into our lives. Let the respect and the awe of God and the majesty of His presence overwhelm your life. It is not something that we can just casually approach, but rather we should do so with intentionality and believe that God is going to speak through the time of worship into our lives, whether it is our style or whether it is not our style. It is not about that. It is about connecting with the living God and allowing Him to change our lives from the inside out. You say, Gary, a little passionate about that. Yes, I am. As your pastor, my heart aches for us as a congregation to be overwhelmed with the presence of God, to be changed in His presence. The fear of God, the fear of God should be our default setting. We should gravitate to be in awe of Him, to honor Him in every way. So once again, I'll ask this question, does God God love this or hate, or does God hate this? Let that be the question that resonates in your heart. You see, our answer and actions following that question will determine the level of the fear, of, the fear that we have of God. And I'm, I, I'm challenged by that. Because I don't know that I've ever necessarily asked that question. Maybe I need to more and more. Maybe we need to. Let's have an aha today. Say, fearing God, yes. And therefore, to expect like amazing 2019, the second aha is to obey God. Just obey God. Solomon said, fear God, and then he said, to keep his commandments. I wonder what comes to mind when we think of obedience. Uh, the first thing, I don't know why this always happens to me, but when, every time I think about this, I think of my son and daughter in law in Texas. They would take, they have, they're their, their dog people. And they had this enormous, I don't know how else to call him, but enormous, enormous pit bull. He was gigantic. He was a wimp. I'm going to tell you that. He was just an absolute wimp. I mean, you look at him cross-eyed, he'd go get in the corner and hide. I mean, it just, and I'm not exa- I am not exaggerating. His name was TJ. TJ was probably 150 pounds, maybe 180 pounds. And I'm not, I am not exaggerating. His head was that big around. And he came up to me one day, you know, just kind of running and playing. He ran into my knee with his head. And I thought my knee had just shattered. You know, and he's just, his tongue is wagging, and he, I mean, his tail's going crazy. And he's just, he's having the greatest time in the world. He was enormous. Now, why do I talk about in obedience? Because I'm talking to my son and daughter, and I say, yeah, we took him to puppy school. Okay. Why? Because we want him to be obedient. So now every time I think of obedience, I think of puppy school. Now you say, well, that's a little weird, Gary. Yeah, it is, frankly. But there's something to be said about the obedience and the training and the discipline connected to turning what someone's natural will is to the will of the Master, I want my will to be compliant with the master. So to be obedient is critical to that. But you look at obedience when it comes to the things of God, and here's what's really key. To obey God is a matter of love, which, which makes it voluntary. Not compelled, not compelled by fear or force. That's the beauty of obedience to God. This is out of love. Because we love God, and we know God's heart and His intentions for us, obedience is the right and natural response. It's truly, it's truly, if we truly desire an amazing 2019, then the words, now I don't know what you think of this person. I'm not here to say that, but I'm telling you, She nailed it. She absolutely nailed it on this phrase of what Joyce Meyer said. Look at what she says. Obedience to God is the pathway to life, to the life you really want. And I went, spot on. Obedience is the pathway to the life you really want to live. Obedience. And I'm going to say this because I believe it's inferred in or implied in this particular statement. It's obedience to God. It's not obedience to rules. It's not obedience to a whatever. It's obedience to God. That's where the life is. It's an obedience to Him. You see, Solomon could speak from experience, unfortunately so, of what happens when you don't obey. So let's look at 1 Kings chapter 11. Now, King Solomon loved many foreign wives besides Pharaoh's daughter. He married women from Moab, Ammon, Edom, Sidon, and from among the Hittites. The Lord had clearly instructed the people of Israel, you must not marry them because they will turn your hearts to their gods. Yet Solomon insisted on loving them anyway. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines. And in fact, they did turn his heart away from the Lord. Now, just to be clear, there are a lot of oh-no moments in this passage of Scripture. In fact, there are a thousand of them. I'm just... 700 wives and 300... Are you kidding me? I have one wife. One. The, the logistics of one wife is enough. Just keeping straight birthday, anniversary, special things... One's enough. One. Now, that's just the logistics of it all. Now, I know I make light of it, but here's here's the deal. He deliberately disobeyed God. Deliberate. And because of that deliberate disobedience, there were oh no moments. The kingdom was torn from him. Think about it. Even during his time as king, God began to reduce the size of Israel. And then he took one of his adversaries who had run away from him and said, I'm going to give you 10 of the 12 tribes. What? Because he he deliberately disobeyed God. 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 9 says, The Lord was very angry with Solomon for his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. He had warned Solomon. Look at this. Here's... This is a key word. He had warned Solomon specifically. Now let me just stop. What is it that God has warned you specifically about? What is it that the Holy Spirit keeps putting his finger on in your life? That is the the specificity of our God. And it is out of love that he does that. He had warned Solomon specifically about worshiping other gods. But Solomon... Did not listen to the Lord's command. Let that sink in for a moment. Did not listen. God forgive me for not listening. God forgive me for not listening when he speaks. So now the Lord said to him, since you have not kept my covenant and have disobeyed my decrees, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your Servants. Do you notice? Not one of his sons. One of his servants. Well, we may not have a kingdom to lose, disobedience does not create the life we really want to live. And if you ever want to hear a great preacher, her name is Priscilla Schreier. I want to tell you, this girl can preach. Priscilla said, obedience will always produce benefits that far outweigh the consequences of disobedience. Let that sink in a minute. You see, we look at it as the opposite. If we do our own way, that's where really the good things are. That's where life really is. If I can just have my own way. That was Solomon. Solomon says, I don't know what the reasons were. He just said, I guess I'm king. I can do what I want. I'm strong enough. I can make this. I can overcome the temptation. I can deal with the stuff. I can handle the pressure. I can make this happen. I can do this. I can do this. I can do this. And the reality was he could not. And the reality is we cannot either. Obedience. Obedience will always produce benefits that far outweigh the consequences of our disobedience. That's where life is. I want those benefits of my life. And the aha moment is to be obedient to God, obey his commands. First John chapter 5, verse 3 says, loving God means keeping his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. They're not burdensome. There, there are so many different things that, that, that the benefits that come out of obedience. Obedience. Just three of them real quick. Obedience is evidence that we love God. If we're obedient to God, we're just, we love God. There's no debate. There's no, there's no question. We love God. We also, His commands are doable. It's not something that's impossible. You and I can do this. And then His ways, His ways can be discovered. And you see, when we talk about obedience, it's really un, uh, uncovering the ways of God for our life how we can live, and so I want to encourage you, read the story, start this process, learning through Scripture. Put yourself on a plan to read the Bible through in a year. Do something that begins to instruct you in the ways of the Lord. As you are instructed in the ways of the Lord, His commandments and His understanding of what He requires of us become clearer and clearer as we pray and as we fast. When we dedicate ourselves to God, He begins to speak into our lives. We allow Him to begin to trim off the things that need to be trimmed and speak into us life. Let's have the aha today and obey God and expect... An amazing 2019. And thirdly, it's to be accountable to God. So this aha, there's three ahas. Number one is fear God. Number two is obey His commandments. And number three is to be accountable to God. I'm curious. little audience participation. Here we go. How many of you have endured an end-of-the-year review at your work? Nobody. Oh, there's a couple. All right, good. All right. So here's a couple of things. Just about that end of review, I, I'm going to make a couple of assumptions. If you have had an end of the year review, the two two things have happened. One, you've either dreaded it because the year wasn't all that good for you, or yeah, you were kind of excited about it because it was a good year, and maybe there's a bonus connected to that. Don't misunderstand when we talk about account, accountability to God that that's what God is doing. He's sitting with a little tally board, going, "Okay, that was a oh, that wasn't good, that wasn't good, that wasn't good." That wasn't good. And for every five wasn't good, you get one good. That's not, what, that's not what being accountable to God is. I would say it's two things. First, it's to be aware. It's to be aware that God is aware. It's to be aware that God is aware. I want us to understand. I need to, I need to be constantly reminded that God sees and knows, understands, one of the things that modern technology has created, I don't know that it's particularly good, because we hear a lot about it. It seems like, you know, who's, who's monitoring your personal information? You know, who's, who's looking at your emails? Who's following up your Facebook account? Who's on Twitter with you? Who's on Instagram with you? I mean, who, who can read all this? Who's checking your text messages? You know, it's like, who's listening in? Now, understand something. Uh, just so you know, God knows what we say. God knows what we do. God knows where we go. God knows what we think. You say, well, that's kind of frightening. Or, thank you, God, that you know where I am, what I think, what I do, and what I say. Which is it? Because if it's what God hates, there's no fear of the Lord. If we are doing things that that go counter to Him, we are being disobedient to Him. We haven't listened to the first ah ahas. We just need to be aware that God's aware. Psalm 121 says, The Lord keeps you from all harm and watches over your life. The Lord keeps watch over you as you come and go, both now and forever. Thank you, God, that you've got my back. And that your Holy Spirit speaks into my life when I move a little bit too far to the left, when I need to be more to the middle, or a little bit too far to the right, when I need to be back on the narrow path. Thank you for hemming me in on both sides. Thank you for directing my life. See, this is not Big Brother, as George Orwell would suggest. It's anything from it. It's a benevolent God who cares for us and loves us and wants the very best for us. I need to be aware that he's aware. And the second is to be committed and to be connected. To be committed and connected. And this accountability, to be aware of that, that God is aware, is really important. The second part of that is to be committed and connected. We need the encouragement and support of other Christ followers. And, and I would say that there are three ways that we do this. The first is small groups. We are a church and we have transitioned over the last two years uh, to being a church of small groups. And I'm grateful for what God is doing in the midst of our small groups. The lives that are being changed and connected and the, the care that's happening. I was, we were privileged to being a couple of functions with some of our life groups at the end of this year. it was just been really, really fun. And, and it's wonderful to share life. We need to share life with others. We're not to live an isolated life. And I want to encourage you now, during the month of January, we're going to be starting the process of reconnecting into our life groups, forming new life groups, plugging in where, where there are opportunities for you. And I want to encourage you to be a part of a life group. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, and the breaking of bread. Everyone was filled with awe and bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers had everything in common. They sold property, possessions to give everyone that they, anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and since their hearts. It is such an important part of being accountable to God to be in a life group setting, into a small setting. Because as much as life happens here, it happens more in a smaller setting. So important. The second part of this is the large gathering. Small groups and a large gathering. That's what we're doing this morning. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. Familiar verse, and I read it often but it's so profound. Some people have gotten out of the habit of meeting for worship, but we must not do that. I want to just stop there. We must not do that. That is a very strong phrase. We must not do that. We should keep encouraging each other, especially since you know that the day of the Lord's coming is getting closer. Understand something. The writer of Hebrews nails it. He just nails it. And we need this gathering. Okay, I, I don't know how more strongly I can express that this morning. We need this gathering. And I know that we don't gather in one service all that often, but it's so good to see you here and the unity that is created. And I know we have a lot of folks traveling. It's vacation time. I get that. And next week, we'll be back to 9 and 11 o'clock. So if you're a 9 o'clock person, way to go you need that gathering. If you're an 11 o'clock person, you need that gathering. This is not something that's just an event. It's not just something that we click off on our calendar every week. Hear this carefully. This, this fuels your spiritual life. You say, but Pastor Gary, does it really? Yes, it does. I cannot tell you that the impact A gathering like this is had on my life. I am a, and you say, well, this is the last thing I want to do. I don't want to go in ministry, so if I'm going to be in church, I ain't going to do what you do, dude. No way. I'm just telling you, I grew up in this environment. And I'm a direct result. I'm a direct result. My life is a direct result by what I experienced in this gathering. Not at Crossroads Church specifically, but the large gathering. Things happen here that happen nowhere else. Now, I may may be treading on some very thin ice here in a moment, so I'm just giving you that opportunity to know that I'm going to be talking about some things that have been deeply embedded in my heart that I'm troubled about. I'm going to say this with as much grace as I possibly can muster. Do not neglect worshiping on a weekend. Do not neglect worshiping on a weekend. Every statistic I read, and I want to tell you something, I read a lot. I read a lot. Every statistic I read is saying, The same thing. Worship attendance on the weekend is declining in every church, in every fellowship around America. I believe that what God is saying to us is to not follow that trend. But to turn it around and say, no, this is the most important thing I do every week. You say, Gary, that's awfully legalistic. No. This is what fuels your life. It's what fuels your life. And I'll say it again. There are things that happen in this gathering that happen nowhere else. I'm really grateful for technology because when I was, I had a couple of things that I had to be away this year, which is very uncustomary for me to miss a Sunday, but I had to be gone because of some physical things. I was able to join online. I'm grateful for that. But it's not enough. Hear me. I'm appreciative of it, and we're going to continue to do it, and we're going to make it better and better and better and better. And in this coming year, our podcast is going to be up and running. I'm also going to be doing a thing called Drive Time, I'm going to be providing you a podcast of a kind of devotional every week. I'm in process. Adam and I are working diligently on that. There are good things in store that are online for us, but understand it does not take the place of this live, large gathering. The reason is the presence of God corporately does things in your life that can happen nowhere else, and you need to be here. You Not only that, you will witness the life change of your friends and your family in this room. You will have the opportunity to bear your burdens before Christ and have somebody agree with you in prayer. It is a place to be baptized in the Spirit. It is a place to see baptisms happen in water. It is a place to enjoy the presence of God, and I said it, yes, in Enjoy the presence of God and have your life transformed because of this gathering. You say, that sounds really old school, dude. You got it. It is old school and I'm proud of it. It is something that we need to dedicate ourselves to and not be apologetic that on 9 o'clock or 11 o'clock on a Sunday morning, you're not going to find me anywhere. You're going to find me in a place of worship, bearing my life before God and allowing God to speak to me through His word and through worship. say, that's a little radical. That's okay. I'm good with it. When we are here, when we are here, we're being obedient to God's Word to not neglect worship. When we are here, we are building our faith. We're growing in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. When we are here, we are experiencing the presence of God uniquely in this setting with other Christ followers. When we are here, we are sharing the wow moments in the lives of our family and friends and we've been investing and inviting, believing for God to do things in their life. Now please understand, I get it. Life happens. And we travel and we do, I get that. I'm not, I'm not saying that. But there's a difference in it not being a value. I hear that. Because when it's not a value in us, it will not be a value in the generation that we're raising. It has to be a value. It has to be what drives us. The large gathering is vitally important. And then finally, the accountability is the one-on-one. James 5, I chose the Living Bible specifically for the way that it frames this. Admit your faults. Another translation is confess your sins, and it's all good. But I love this idea of faults. I get it. We all sin. We all fall short of God's glory. I get it. But man, I got some faults going on, too. And I need I need some people to walk with me and help me through these faults. Admit your faults, one that pray for I love it. Pray for each other so you can be healed. Thank you, Lord. Never minimize, never minimize the power, the value. And here's this little phrase I picked up years ago. Never minimize the power and the value of having a foxhole buddy. Have a foxhole buddy. Somebody that you know, you can just count on to carry your water. To pray with you when things get rough. Who won't judge you. Who doesn't turn away from you. I have 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 this wonderful plaque in my office and I, I cherish it. Someone gave it to me years ago. I don't know who gave it to me. I've had it forever. I put it up. And I, it's, it's a bad paraphrase, but the idea is this, about the pastor's study. And it's something along these lines. That you can share anything in this room and the person and the pastor will not judge you. He will not look at your faults in a way that puts you in the light that are bad. No. Just understand the acceptance of the grace of God The mercy of God. I get get emotional when I think that because I know the responsibility there. But I also know this. I know the value of having a friend. Of having a foxhole buddy that I can just pour my life out to when I hurt. And every one of us in this room, you need a foxhole buddy that you can just be real with. You don't have to worry about them carrying that conversation someplace else, but they just say, I'll pray with you. I have a young man in North Carolina. He's been through all kinds of challenges. and God has done miracle after miracle after miracle in his life and in his family's life. He texted me last week and he said, Gary, I'm getting ready to do this. Will you pray with me that I will do this well? And I've been standing with him in prayer now for this particular thing and other things that that God has brought him through. And I am so honored that he would say, would you pray with me? Would you walk with me through this? Understand, for those foxhole buddies, it is not a burden. It is a joy. It is a privilege. And we need to have a foxhole buddy, but not only do we need one, we need to be one. We need to be able to just share with someone from our heart, but we need to have someone have the confidence to share with us and that we would hold that tight and hold that close because we need that accountability before God. You see, this is an aha moment. It's an aha moment. I believe for accountable to God, it's an aha. The 2019 is going to be amazing. So my prayer as I conclude is this. Or be an aha moment for all of us as we fear God, we obey Him, we're accountable to Him. When we do, here's the last thought: when we do recognizing the aha, will minimize the oh no, and we can celebrate the wow. I don't know about you, but I want to celebrate some wows. I don't want any more oh nos. I want to celebrate some wows. And if it's going to take some ahas to do that, then so be it and bring it on in the name of Jesus. And so I'm just putting it to you right now. It's an aha moment. And if you are here this morning, you say, yes, Gary, that is absolutely what I want. I want to fear God. I want you to stand to your feet. I want to obey God. Stand to your feet. I want to be accountable, Oh, God. Stand to your feet. In Jesus' name, I pray, Lord, that you see those who are making a commitment right now to you. Lord, to fear you in ways that we have never feared you, to obey you in ways that we've never obeyed you, to be accountable in ways that we've never been accountable. Let this be an aha moment for Crossroads Church in the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you, by your Spirit, would begin to overflow this place and you would do something in us that you have never done before, that before we leave today, you will transform us and we will be walking from this room encouraged and energized for what you are going to do in our And through us in 2019. Let it be so in the name of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah! Hallelujah.